Before I actually get started, um, I uh, I went for a run this morning, um, and I know I should know better, but don't write a speech and then go for the run, <laughs> because you running gives me time. I I pray, I meditate when 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 I'm out running, and I I come back and go, man, that's a great idea. Best to change the whole speech. <laughs> And um, you know, it, it, it takes the human brain about 20 minutes to start thinking. You know, ne- neurologists have, have proven this. So if you go out for a run, your first 10 minutes, it's just all over the place. Shiny thing, sea, sky. <laughs> and, and after that sort of first 10 minutes, you begin to start seeing some clarity. And in that 20 to 40 minute space, you really begin to connect with the challenge that, that you're dealing with. And what I came back with, from the run today was leadership is not passive. We cannot be leaders and just wait for it to happen. Leadership is about action. And in that way, it's, yeah, it's very similar to faith. There is no point in having a passive faith. It's got, you've got to lean into it. And that's what leadership has to be about um and you know i get a little bit passionate i've got a whole script here i'm just you know we'll, we'll get there um yeah i i really am i've i've become more and more passionate about leadership over the last six months because it is the thing that is lacking so much out there whether it's picking up a piece of litter in the street whether it's you're getting a glass of water for someone in the office because yeah, they're, they're coughing. That's leadership. Little bits of leadership are the things that are going to make a difference. We don't all have the opportunity or need to command grand armies or lead huge organizations. The purpose of leadership is the little stuff. And if we get the little stuff right, it will change. And that's how we go about changing the world. Right, shall I get started? So, um, tonight's subject, um, leadership of self. Let's just backtrack. Last time, who remembers learned behaviors? Well done, you did. (laughs) Right, okay. Um, Okay. How many of your children make their beds every morning? Okay. And we'd go and... Yeah. <laughs> it was the same last time, wasn't it? And we'd go into the rooms and go, ask you to make your bed, and you didn't make your bed. Why not? I don't know. What will you do tomorrow? Yeah. You didn't make your bed. I know. Why didn't you? Oh, I don't know. All right, it's just that behavior. So, um, how many of you all make your beds every morning? That's every morning. So every morning, yeah, our kids think we're insane. 
Every morning we make our bed and have done throughout my life. Um, on, on the 17th of May 2014, Admiral William McRaven um, stood and gave the closing address at the University of Texas and he spoke about the importance of making your bed. Are you there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you okay, so what? Um, McRaven had spent 37 years in the US Navy SEALs. Um, at the end of his career, he was responsible for all special, uh, military special forces in the, um, in the US, in US defense. And he stood on the stage and gave eight lessons that he had learned from being a Navy SEAL. But the top one was, make your bed. Because it's the first task of the day. We get up in the morning and we make our bed. That then means that it doesn't matter what sort of crappy day we have. It means that we've done something. We've achieved something. And even if that's the only thing we achieve throughout the day, when you get into your bedroom at night, you've got a nicely made bed to sleep in. It gives you gratitude, which sets you up for a good day the next day. The point is, to lead oneself, we've got to be responsible for ourselves and the standards we hold to. The last time I spoke about values, the values at the rock, and I provided some values for leadership. But what of personal values? I'll come back to that in a minute. Um, when we spoke last week and we decided that there were four, a, a program of four um, lessons and messages, um, I thought leadership itself, brilliant, all over it, sorted. Um, I mean, I think what I have learnt in the last four days about leadership, um, I am so grateful that you know, God and I have wandered through that conversation because I have learned so much about it. It's, it's after, after a career of leadership, to, to realize I still have so much to learn is very, very exciting. But leadership of self, I suddenly realized that I'd run headlong into a kingdom paradox. Um, are we not meant to be followers? And if we're to be leaders on earth, how can we be spiritual leaders? And is spiritual leadership and leadership actually the same thing? It was an interesting start point. <clears throat> so I took it to an, an analogy of sport. I turn up for a ball game. It will be played on a grassed area. The area will be marked with white lines. At either end, there are some posts. The game will consist of two teams, and the winner will be the team that gets the ball between the posts the most number of times. What sport am I talking about? So some of us will recognize rugby. Union, obviously. A game for barbarians played by gentlemen. <coughs> 
other lesser beings will identify with football. <laughs> a game... A game for gentlemen played by barbarians. The difference, other than rugby's played by men with odd-shaped balls, is in the rules and whose outcomes we're looking to champion. Can we then understand the rules of spiritual leadership and through those rules lead as God expects? Rather than being God's leaders, we could look at it through a slightly different lens. Leadership's about mastery. And going back to the end of my last talk, if we are humble, if we are vulnerable, and if we truly serve to lead, then we'll always be learning about leadership and we'll never actually master it. So if we diligently study leadership through the the correct lens, God's lens, then at the right time, God graces us with a position of being a leader. So let's back up. Um, leadership of self. Why? Daniel Goleman wrote a book called Emotional Intelligence and reflected in it that exceptional leaders distinguish themselves because of superior self-leadership. Great leadership is a cultivated art which begins with self-leadership because at the center of leadership is the person who more than anything else makes the difference. Leadership success or failure begins with how the leader approaches self-leadership. So back to making our beds. The first six weeks of military training across the world sucks. My personal experience, very early mornings and late nights, physical training every day, time spent digging holes to sleep in. Dependent on our perceived abilities, our staff would decide whether that digging took place in a sandy area or in a quarry. Looking after your uniform, endless shining of shoes. We lived over three kilometers from our classroom and marched there every morning with our books and our changes of clothes. We marched back to the barracks every lunchtime and then did the same again in the afternoon. We were generally given about an hour for lunch, and that included the six kilometers of marching. Each day we were burning through between five and 6,000 calories. Room inspections took place every morning. Unless you were not up to standard, then you got a second one in the evening. And that generally put the pressure on, because a poor show at the morning's inspection resulted in all of your kit, including your bed, being thrown out the window. So the downward spiral began. We went through our first six weeks in summer. And if a fly, wasp or bee had the temerity to enter your room during the inspection, it was your fault. And out went the kit and the bed, normally followed by the fly. And if it all got too much, all that was required was a quick visit to the directing staff, and you'd be on the next train home. No questions asked. At the time, we constantly asked ourselves questions. What is the point? And the point was to break everyone down to the same level. 
and then rebuild with new, different values, the values of the military you were joining. Over the years, we all came to recognize a far deeper meaning to those six weeks. They allowed every one of us to understand our own values. Until I left the British Army, I didn't really dwell much on my personal values. They were there, but they were so tied to the values of the British Army, the values of my cap badge, and the values of my unit. Yeah, it wasn't something that I thought much of. When I left, I found myself lacking. So I ended up creating a mantra, which I recite or write down every day. As a child of God, I appreciate this life every minute. I am happy, healthy, and wealthy. I live with bravery, tenacity, and enthusiasm. I'm an inspiration, joyful, and present towards everyone I meet. I feel gratitude. I check in to the day with my mantra every morning, and I check out each night. How was my day? Now, most people know me. I'm not that joyful. Man, I'm grumpy. Um, yeah. But I check in and out with it each day, and that allows me to exercise self-leadership. Did I hit the bar or not? And that got me thinking, is there anything that might help us, as spiritual leaders, lead ourselves and hold ourselves to account? And it turns out that in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 15, there is. But before I get there, let me back up to what Jesus says just before he gave his disciples, gave us the Lord's Prayer. And when you pray, you shall not be like hypocrites. When you pray, go into your room, and when you shut your door, pray to your Father. When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do. Right there, Jesus is telling us that we are to be accountable. I remember at school, at Sunday school, and even as an adult in church, rattling off the Lord's Prayer. I even remember ensuring that I used the correct version. <clears throat> when, I, when I visited other churches who were saying it wrong. The Lord's Prayer is not only a commitment to leadership of self, but also a commitment to spiritual leadership. Why can it be a commitment to leadership of self? Because we are already followers, and our Father knows the things we have need of before we ask him. The Lord's Prayer should not be recited, but interpreted. What is the true intention of each verse as it pertains to me? So here it is, an, my, interpretation. It changes frequently, but we'll go with this one for today. <clears throat> Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father, not mine, but ours, which makes me less self-centered and more conscious of those around me. 
As I walk alone, I understand this to the extent of everything I see, hear, and feel. The birds, the trees, the stones under my feet, we are all connected to our Father. Father, a paternal authoritative figure, a teacher, a mentor, a disciplinarian, who art in heaven. You know, we're conditioned to think that heaven is above us, in the sky. I think that heaven, the essence of our Father, is around and within us. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed meaning sacred. Revere and respect the powerful presence to whom the prayer is an ode of reverence. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as it is in heaven. To pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven acknowledges two things. It acknowledges there is a better way for the world to run than the way it does. And that God cares about this earth. This should be the prayer of someone who believes the world is not as it should be. That there is a better world coming. This means we should be broken hearted for what breaks the heart of God. The evil that prevails, the racism, the poverty, the violence, the sin, the death, the corruption, the injustice. It means that we can't shut our eyes to the world's deep suffering and pretend it isn't happening. We pray for heaven to finally come down to earth as promised and see the kingdom arrive in its fullest. But it also means that right now, while we await that day, we pray for God's will to reign in a sinful world. It's a revolutionary prayer against the prevailing sinful world system. It's a longing for the curse to be reversed, for heaven's healing and hope to prevail upon the brokenness of our families, our communities, and our world. To pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven is not to be satisfied with the way things are and to be part of the renewal God is bringing to bear in the world. Essentially, this is a risky prayer for us personally. It says to the Lord, I have my will. You have your will. Sometimes they line up. When they don't, overrule my will. It implies submission, study, and satisfaction. As we walk with God, he works on our hearts, our affections, our desires. We begin to think like he thinks and love what he loves, and hate what he hates. Lastly, we can't read, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, without thinking of Jesus' example. In the garden, Jesus prayed, pleaded with God, take this cup from me, not my will, but yours be done. He accepted the cup of God's wrath for sin, accepted the darkness and death of the cross, the curse of sin, and he said, not my will, but yours. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Give thanks for what we've been given in this moment. And our daily bread doesn't only pertain to food, nourishment, physical nourishment. It pertains to spiritual nourishment. In other words, please grant me all that I need on this day 
in order to fulfill the preceding commitment about doing it like it's done in heaven. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is a bit of a toughie. Its interpretation can be as unique and individual as each individual is unique. Why? Because as human beings, we are imperfect. Many of us would prefer not to illuminate the truth of our sins against others. And if we did, or we did more often, we'd see clearly the need to strive harder to do it on earth as it is in heaven. Doing so requires that we confront the three most powerful words any of us can say about ourselves. I was wrong. Forgiving those who trespass against us is another difficult one. Some of us are better equipped to forgive than others, possibly dependent on the severity of the trespass. I was bullied as a kid and as a teenager, and it wasn't till many years later that I was able to put it in proper perspective and actually have empathy for the plight of my tormentors. They actually reckon that officers in the British Army, 70% of officers in the British Army have either been bullies or have or were bullied. So, <laughs> fit, the, fit the bill. Um, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This verse is about our individual conscience and our collective consciousness. I can sooner see our faulty egos leading us into temptation, as so frequently occurs, as opposed to God taking us astray. In order to not be led into temptation, we need to be aware of the commitment we've made so far in the prayer. Evil is perpetuated by humankind and can be a byproduct of being led into temptation. Being asked to deliver us from evil keeps us conscious of its pitfalls. Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Here the prayer comes full circle by closing with a reminder that all things originate in God. And it's then that I express gratitude and appreciation for the beauty of all I survey. Okay, that gives us an access point to leadership of self in terms of spiritual leadership. What is leadership of self? Other than the toughest challenge we all face in the flesh. There are four aspects to self-leadership. Self-awareness. We must acknowledge, understand, and be conscious of our own values, of our perspectives, strengths, weaknesses, our leadership maturity, and our emotional needs. Self-management. We've got to nurture and harness our own passion, our abilities, emotions, and leadership capacity by making the right decisions. Other awareness. We need to acknowledge and recognize the passion, strengths, and weaknesses and the potential and needs of other people. And fourth, other management. As leaders, we must grow and motivate other people to develop their potential, help them in their journey of self-leadership.
Great leaders begin with self-awareness and move to self-management and then on to other awareness and other management. But don't go at it step by step. You go all four of them at once and sometimes you accelerate to the fourth with some people and other times it takes an awful lot longer. I can. First one, self-awareness. We must acknowledge and understand and be conscious of our own values, our perspectives, our strengths and weaknesses, our leadership maturity and our emotional needs. Second one, self-management. We need to nurture and harness our own passion, our abilities, emotions and leadership capacity through making the right decisions. Third is other awareness. Recognize the passion, strengths and weaknesses and potential and needs of others. And then lastly, other management. As leaders, we must grow and motivate other people to develop their potential. Help them in their journey of self-leadership. Some leaders are conscious of themselves, their personalities, their idiosyncrasies, motivations, competencies, but they can't manage themselves, especially their emotions and weaknesses. Netflix, bottle of wine, pizza. Thank you very much. They lack self-control, lose their cool, become unusually critical, behave inappropriately want to do everything and are unable to keep the pride in check. I would question whether they're leaders at all, but... Seven reasons why leadership, self-leadership, is so important. Self-leadership is about appreciating others. When you truly know yourself, your strengths and your weaknesses, you will appreciate other people. Because leaders are anchored by an appreciation of their own Dignity of their own humility. They develop an appreciation of the aspirations, potential and dignity of others. It's how they transform the way they look at other people. It's about preventing the car crash. Lots of rising stars self-destruct and never achieve early potential because they lack self-leadership. Daniel Goleman, the bloke that wrote Emotional Intelligence, when he did his study, compared star performers with average ones in leadership positions, and nearly 90% of the difference in the profiles was due to emotional intelligence rather than use of the brain. Uh, Number three, uh, it ensures long-term success. Great leaders have a long-term perspective for life and success. They're not here for the short term, but for the long haul. Only leaders who practice consistent self-leadership can ensure long-term success. The temptation to push for filled seats on a Sunday or monthly giving targets at all costs can derail the leader. Unless they have a keen sense of self-leadership, they can't stay focused on what's important. It's critical to make sure we're headed in a direction that will build life not just feelings. A bad day or a bad week doesn't require a knee-jerk reaction that could knock you off course just because you're not where you want to be right now. Don't just look at how the day has gone, 
look at how the month or the year has gone. Is the trajectory right? Are you on course? Then stay the path in spite of setback. Through self-leadership, we should leave a legacy. All leaders leave legacy, whether good or bad. They leave their imprint on the organization through their beliefs, values, and attitudes. So self, so effective self-leadership is essentially about leaving a great legacy for the people we are leading. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But an inheritance isn't just limited to money. It also includes godly character qualities like integrity and trustworthiness. Wisdom and dedication ensures that the next generation will also manage God's blessing, God's way for glory, for God's glory, long after we've left. Ask for help. Humility and vulnerability are good things. And isolation exacerbates insecurity. Be willing to grow. Ask for and listen to outside counsel. Romans 12.13 says, By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned Seek out wisdom on areas you need to grow in. Ask without getting defensive. This should be a pattern for all aspects of life. It's in relationship where life flourishes. The more you draw away from it, the more your own mind and flesh will play tricks on you. Fight that fleshly instinct and push on. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The zone of the unknown, the comfort, outside the comfort zone. You only grow when you're at the edge of yourself. Such a cool place to be. Getting into the zone of the unknown is so good for us at so many levels. It broadens our horizons. It sharpens our senses. Most importantly, it causes us to pay attention. It's when that happens that we are open to and aware of new possibilities. Think about times in your life when you've really grown. I bet it wasn't watching Netflix on the couch. In nature, all adaptation and mutation happens at the edges, close to death, when all other options have failed. There's probably a whole other conversation relating to Matthew chapter uh, chapter 21, verse 44. He who falters on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whoever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. I'll leave that for another time. 
We shouldn't fear the zone of the unknown. You know, as, as Jeremiah says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans are for welfare, not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. You will then call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This came up this morning um, at Kingdom Prayer. Um, we started um, with reading uh, Psalm 23, and the concept of fear came out. Um, fear is a lack of faith, a lack of knowledge. So we know how to deal with, thief, with, with fear. And we have nothing to fear. The zone of the unknown is the place that we should exist because that's the only place to exist. Don't hold too tight. The more you open your hand, the more you're able to receive. In leadership terms, that no, that's not just stuff or money. It could be time, experience, or even joy. There are three parts to this. The, more, the most obvious described in Proverbs uh, chapter 3, 9, 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Live with an open hand. Practice being grateful for what you have. Look for others who could be blessed with what you have. The more you sow, the more you reap. And let's not forget Job's view. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Second, maybe less obvious in today's cotton wool wrapped society, sometimes a leader has to let go for the team or the individual to mature. As a parent, Sometimes we need to let our children fail so they learn a lesson and they grow and they know that failure is exactly that, just a lesson. And thirdly, um, John chapter 1 verses 1 to 4. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Um, I'm the chief executive of a startup in Wellington. And yeah, life's tough. A couple of weeks ago, I had a breakdown. It wasn't pretty. Snot, tears. Um, wasn't, was it? <laughs> um, but Liz and I prayed on it. And what came out of that prayer was that I had such a tight grip on the company that I couldn't see anything else. Yeah, that grip was killing me, it was killing the company, it was killing relationships. 
I let go. Turns out things weren't quite as bad as I thought they were. Turns out the company's not in such a bad state. Turns out I actually had to listen to what God was trying to tell me. I had to let go. So, self-leadership is an ongoing process of self-reflection. It's not a one-time project. You can't drop the mic on it. No less essential than the initial assessment of your strengths, weaknesses, values, and the worldview is going on everyday habit of self-reflection. It's an opportunity to measure life a little bit at a time against principles, goals, and values. Continual self-leadership is a mark of leadership maturation. Personal leadership is a never-ending work in progress that draws on continual maturing of self-understanding. Some people never mature as leaders. They remain insecure, self-defeating, juvenile, or worse still, delinquent in their leadership development. So self-leadership is imperative if we want to be great leaders, which is fine, but we still haven't recognized leadership of self in a spiritual context. Lucky I've got 10 pages to go. (laughs) As Christians and leaders, we're quick to look at our role of leadership as influence and impact on those around us. And that's right. We're looking for the next way to grow our team, the rock or our ministry and are convinced that the way we interact and lead others is critical. And it is. However, in doing this, we often neglect the most important person God gave us to lead. The person God has given us the most care over. The one who's most critical to our continued growth and development as followers of Christ. The first person you lead is yourself. And in truth, any failure to lead yourself well will cripple your chances of leading, helping, or discipling others. Take care of your body. It's the only place you've got to live. Right, let's bring this into land. In the British Army, there's a concept of two-up. Before you make any decision, you think, what is my boss's boss trying to achieve here? And how can I support him better? It's a concept I still use in business and even at home. Although you'll have to check in with Liz to see how that's going. (laughs) Reflecting that, and returning to the Lord's Prayer to end, and to finish the kingdom paradox of spiritual leadership, we should read Jesus' word to us to pray, not just as words, but as words Jesus himself lived out. These words call us to yield our own wills for the sake of the gospel. 
Jesus accepting of God's will over his will enables us to do God's will. Jesus is the bridge between heaven and earth. He is the answer to the Lord's Prayer. In our own lives, Jesus bridged the gap between heaven and earth. By his death, we now have access to God. By his resurrection, we now have life here and in eternity. But in an even deeper sense, we can only pray the Lord's Prayer because Jesus prayed it. He was the only one to fully fulfill God's will. Because Jesus fulfilled it for us, as spiritual leaders, we do God's will, not to earn his favor, but part of God's mission to spread the fame of his name to the ends of the earth. In practicing spiritual leadership, we obey God's will, not to make God happy, but because it's our joy. It's what we were created to do. And if we still continue to struggle with the concept of leadership of self in the spiritual context, lead through life, not our life, but his. And keep your eyes on the best example of self-leadership and spiritual leadership. Keep your eyes on him.